We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 250. Hey, look at that. 250, round number. What's up, Scott? Nice little round number for uh, entering the All-Star break. First half of the season is officially over. Not uh, you know, not by numbers, but by uh, by everybody else's you know judgment. That's the All Star break is the mid season point, even though it really isn't. Used to be. I hear John Sterling talk about that all the time. Actually, every single game, maybe every single inning. Well, it used to be eighty one games, and then the All Star break, and now it's a week later. And he uses the word nominally, nominally a lot. Well, yeah, because there's also you know other considerations like the Yankees this year have the most wins going into an All Star break. For the New York Yankees history, but that's skewed because the timing of the All Star Game is different. Right. However, yeah. I heard well, them the say percentage. the winning percentage is 13th best all time. That's not bad. I'm hanging my hat on that one. <laughs> there's there's some bad. pretty damn good teams in the New York Yankees. It's pretty good. 
I think everything is just skewed because the Red Sox have lost one game since they left Yankee Stadium on July 1st. It's a thousand percent all judged on the Yankees and the Red Sox at this point. That's the entire when you're looking at the the the, the landscape and, and where we are as far as like in a situation and, and how you feel about this team. Many people are looking at the fact that there are four and a half games out of first place and that's it. And unfortunately, if you're looking at that, you're not seeing the entire picture because the Red Sox have been freaking unbelievably on fire for the past two weeks. And they, the Red Sox did this to start the season, too, and they came back down to earth a little bit, and then the Yankees went on their, their unbelievable hot streak. Right. So I, I'm just I'm banking on it's going to be cyclical once again, and the Yankees maybe will run off 12 out of 15 or something really exceptional, and the Red Sox might go 500 for a 15-game stretch, and then boom, they'll be meeting right back at the top once again. Uh, but I think fans are getting a little pissy, because they they on this road trip split with Baltimore, which sucks. We already mm-hmm. talked about that, and then they split with Cleveland. They could have won two, uh, three out of four against Cleveland, but Cleveland's a good team, and you swept them earlier in the season at home, and you split with them on the road. At the end, when you're looking at that, that is not bad against Cleveland, who's going to be a playoff team and has been a playoff team for the last two seasons. Right, and and they came in. Um, you know, as a team that, that people thought there were some some things that you could exploit, the bullpen, we all the, the whole thing, you know, everybody was talking about the uh, the five whatever ERA bullpen, uh, worst in baseball. Worst in baseball. Didn't show like that. Where was it, their garbage pen this week? <laughs> didn't show like that. But, but you know, when you see that, you're like, oh, we'll tee off. No problem. Well, also Trevor Bauer will throw 120 pitches, so it's not the easiest thing to get to the bullpen. Um, and Kluber also will, will, will throw, you know, uh, well over 100 pitches. So there's there's that also to consider. But it's they're just a different team. And, you know, when they come out and they beat you, you have to look at the, the fact that they are a very good team as well. So you can't go out there and expect um, to win or even to split every single series against, a, you know, a team like that who is a perennial playoff team. And, you know, one that's managed probably better than, uh, than, than a lot of teams in the bigs. Terry Francona still has a lot of my... Uh, admiration as a as far as x's and o's for a manager i think he's one of the better guys in the game the the cleveland pen threw eight and two-thirds innings this weekend and only gave up two runs and like we said it going into this series that is not what was expected to happen you thought if the yankees could get deep into a game tied like they did on sunday afternoon it was going to be no problem win and and that's still without andrew miller who when he comes back maybe this maybe this cleveland pen won't look too shabby and they have Ali Perez, who I swear has been in baseball since 1985, yeah, having a pretty decent season. I mean, he's kind of reinvented himself as the uh, the Mike Myers of the league now. You know, he's he's been on every single team. I think uh, he's definitely he was at the Yankees. He was in Scranton for uh, you know a cup of coffee this uh, this year, and you know he's been I think <laughs> practically on every major league team. And now he's a lefty specialist. So you know, good for him for uh, completely coming back because he was. He was a shattered player at one point when he was with the Mets. You know, he yep. was he was done. He had uh, a lot. This is like his fourth resurgence in baseball. Yeah, yeah. So good for him. He just keeps coming back, and uh, a lot of guys, a lot of guys cannot do that. So, all right, we're gonna get into all of that. But uh, today, as you guys are listening, Monday is the last day to buy tickets for the July twenty second event, Sunday night baseball against the Mets this coming weekend. The pregame party is going to be at the Bronx Brewery. We're going to be there all afternoon. There's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Last time we were playing cornhole, there was life size Jenga. They had a DJ, a little bit of food, so it was a really fun atmosphere. Then we will head over to the stadium for the 8 p.m. Sunday night baseball game. Like I said, last day to get tickets is today. 
Yep, go get them. If you haven't gotten them, make sure you get your crew. Um, we, we're pretty close. We only have, I'd say, a handful of uh, the tickets left. So get in there. Uh, and I, I, what I'll do is if they are out by the time um, you guys see them, you will see sold out. So that will be the, the key distinguisher, whether you could get tickets or not. Um, but if you haven't, then uh, then also start planning for the next one. The next one's going to be a lot of fun because it's the 1998 celebration game. That's where they come out and they roll out all the guys from uh, from 1998, and they everybody gives them a standing ovation. There's a whole big ceremony before the game, so we'll actually start that one extra early. We did it in uh, for the 96 celebration at the dugout with uh, the pregame being early, and it was uh, we did a breakfast beers for 20 years. So that started. I think we started at what like 10 a.m. 9:30. 10 a.m. Because you got to get into the stadium early to see the ceremony yeah. that day. Yeah. So all you degenerates, if you want to get there a little earlier, I think the bar might even open. Early. They may even open at nine thirty, but it's nine thirty or ten o'clock. Um, but we'll be there as they uh, as they open, I'm sure, because uh, yeah, we fall into that category as well. So uh, go onto the website. Uh, you can get your tickets now. They are up on the website. I know people have been asking when's the when's it going to be up? When's it going to be up? It's up. You can go get them and buy them now. So uh, get your crew together. Hey, quick question: Does Derek Jeter show up that day? No, I don't think Jeter shows up until he's fully out of baseball. Or so it's may- just been long enough where he's just like, you know, I'll, I'll make an appearance. Well, fully out of baseball, meaning no longer working with the Marlins, because yes. that might be never. Well, it's going to be at some point. He's you know, There's an exit strategy here. He's not walking <laughs> into that without an exit strategy. He's trying to make his money back. I would say the next time he comes to Yankee Stadium is after he is inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and then the Yankees will do something for him then as well uh, for becoming a Hall of Famer. I think that's the next time and maybe the last time he will come to Yankee Stadium. So you're saying it's only going to be for uh, an event based around Jeter and not a team event. No longer is he part of the team. Well, he's still always a part of the 98 team, but there's no, going to be... No, I mean, be... like the team, like, you know, the celebration of the team, like one of the guys coming back, talking about it. If he's not coming back for 98, that means he's not going to come back for 99 because you know they're going to do the same thing next year and then they're right. going to do the same thing in 2020 for the 2000 championship and then 2000... Maybe he'll come back for 2029. Maybe <laughs> that's that's a long time away. It's a lot of things could happen between then now and then. But um, you know, I, I don't expect him to come back uh, much soon. I think he's trying to stay out of the uh, the New York spotlight, especially after the Stanton trade. Actually, yeah. it might be it might not be until Stanton is not a Yankee any longer. So he might be a uh, you know waiting till the end of his contract before he can even show his face. And then the last event that we're hosting this season is September 15th. That is a Saturday afternoon in September. That will be a playoff tune-up for the boys. And if, if, if people cannot uh, get tickets to, to one of these events, how else can they buy tickets, Scott? Well, it used to be that buying tickets were complicated and confusing, but now there's a better way, and you can buy them with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, the easiest way to get tickets to every single type of event, whether you're searching for your last-minute deal, planning a night out with your friends, or need to find that perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and that's fully guaranteed. There's nothing like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action. I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I use it. Um, I've gotten Springsteen concert tickets. I've gotten some G-Love and Special Sauce tickets on there. There has been a lot of concerts that I've gone to that I've gotten them on SeatGeek. I can be anywhere and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually use them to buy uh, tickets for the last Springsteen concert that I was at. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare and find amazing deals. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every event. 
Uh, every type of event from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code BRONX today. That's promo code BRONX for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Let's go back to last Thursday. Luis Severino against Corey Kluber. Pitching matchup of the century. Two of the top five pitchers in baseball, pretty much no matter what category you're looking at. So, of course, it's going to be a one nothing pitcher's duel, right? Yeah, not so much. That's 7-4 Yankees win, just like everyone expected, yeah. was a 7-4 to four win. And you could tell immediately with Severino, he was not on his game. And you thought Kluber was on his game, but he kind of blew up in the third inning as well. So both guys uncharacteristic. Both guys uncharacteristic. I think he, uh, Kluber showed something um, as well in that one. Kind of, he's he's done this before where where he'll let up runs, but he stays in the game and, and he's and he you know keeps his team in the game for a long time. And Severino has done that multiple times as well. You could just tell on this given day that he was really laboring for uh, you know through the start. And and Kluber after he got into some trouble ended up settling down um, and finding uh, finding some solid ground to stay on. You could also tell Francona was pushing Kluber because he's afraid to go to his bullpen. Uh, we, we just talked about how his bullpen wasn't bad this weekend, but Thursday coming in, it was the worst bullpen in baseball. So, so Francona is saying, do I want to have Corey Kluber out there, yeah. out there against the Yankees or do I want to go to some, one of my, my bullpen guys with a 5.9 ERA? Well, and, and, and not only that, but knowing that you know, if you have to go to your bullpen early you know, with, it, with it struggling at this point, then you know, you're in for a long series too. I mean, you, you got to really rely on your starting pitching at that point and you don't want to be put in a jam. So, you know, we talked about that, how, how he will, um, you know, you have to consider that with when you're looking at the worst bullpen ERA in Major League Baseball, well, you have to consider that Terry Francona will wait and can wait to get to that bullpen if he can get some length out of his guys, even if they're not having their, their, their best stuff. And that's um, also the one of the characteristics of an ace is when he's not on his A game, he still gives his team either a chance to win or length in a game that he's losing. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Seve battled through five, uh, four earned runs. It definitely wasn't a, a great start for him, but those are his bad starts. And I can live with that if those are his bad starts that are, you know, every, every, every so often, not like once a month, if that, not even. I mean, he's so good normally that if we're looking at a guy who's giving up um, you know, five, I'm sorry, four runs in five innings, uh, a couple long balls he, he kind of got caught up with. You know, you take that because the majority of his starts are phenomenal. This was by far his worst start since early in the season at Fenway Park in April where he gave up five runs in five innings. Um, and you could just tell he was giving up a lot of hard hit balls. Two things, two key factors to why I saw Severino struggling, and everyone was talking about it. His velocity was a little bit down. His average fastball was 96.78 miles an hour, which you might be saying, well, that's a let's round up. That's a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. You're telling me that's velocity down, but it's, it was a full mile per hour lower than his normal fastball. And also, I think this is a bigger factor. It was mislocation. He was missing location with all of his pitches, especially his change-ups. He left a couple of those up. And those got hit for extra base hits. He gave up two home runs and only struck out one guy. Yeah. So clearly not on his game. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much I really buy into the fact that 97 or 96 is making too much of a difference. It's, it's a 1,000% a the mislocations. You know, when you're, when you're missing your, your locations, whether it's 96 or 97 miles per hour, um, and you're either uh, leaking balls over the plate or just giving too much of the plate to the batter, then you're going to get hurt. And they have, a, they have a lot of guys on this team who, who can do damage. So you, you can't make mistakes 
Um, you know, like like he could get away with uh, with a team that's not as good with Cleveland. They're going to make you pay for that. And and guys like there we weren't even on the team last year, like Michael Brantley, who's having a ridiculous year now. Um, you know, we didn't have he's been hurt for a while and now he's back fully healthy and they have another weapon now on that team. So that offense is, has definitely improved. And that offense, oddly enough, is way better at home than they are on the road. Did you hear Leiter and Kay talking about this on the broadcast? Uh, Cleveland averages two more runs at home than they do on the road. I mean, we're, starting to, we're starting to see this as a trend around baseball, especially with the better teams. They're just playing better at home. I mean, it, it, it makes sense when you, you just know the park and you know uh, the, the ins and outs of, of you know, where you can go and what you can do. And I don't know. To me, it just makes a lot of sense when you see a team with, uh, with, with good hitters that, that take advantage of something, you know, a place they're going to be more often than anywhere else. So you're not buying into any conspiracy theories. Maybe Cleveland's got some shady camera work going on. Maybe they're stealing the Red Sox Apple Watch plan. No, I mean, that could absolutely be. Wasn't Trevor Bauer the one that was uh, talking about cheating? Wasn't he the one that was oh, bringing that up? Trevor Bauer's, yeah, he's, I'm just he's saying, all about spin you know, rates whoever, and pine tar and everything. Whoever smelt it, dealt it. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those, if, if, you're, if you're on the lookout for that, chances are it's, you're thinking about it. Maybe it was in your last meeting. I don't know. Did so, you, but did you know this was a thing at Cleveland? Old Jacobs Field, now whatever it is. What is it? Progressive Field? I, I always think of it as Jacobs Field. But Leiter said that when he pitched there in the 90s, there, this was a thing that was talked about where you better change up your signs because something shady's going on. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I don't think I was aware of it at the time until they started talking about it again. Um, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think in the early 90s, late 80s, that shit was happening all the time. I think a lot of that was happening. Well, he'll, so Severino only got seven swings and misses on 94 pitches. And I think you, it was clear. He was missing location, like we just said, maybe a little bit dip in velocity. He did not have the same bite on his slider. But the last time he got hit that hard was at Fenway Park. And after that game, there were rumors that he was tipping pitches. Now, there were no rumors that he's tipping pitches this time around. But all I'm saying is there is in, uh, some innuendo here where maybe there's something shady going on in Cleveland. Um I think it was just Severino was not on his A game. But well, I mean, if it's if it's him tipping pitches too, and that was something that was before. I mean, it's it, it's it's quite possible that one people are just using for an excuse when Severino's not great, and and that's possible because it couldn't be him. He's not he's not a, you know he's not a human being. He's a he's a robot. This guy's a, a cyborg who who just comes in and dominates. So I, he must something must be happening. He can't have an off day. He can't he can't just be not as good today. Or, you know, or he's, uh, you know, tipping his pitches and, and they saw it in Boston. And I don't know. I think Terry Francona might know a few people in Boston. Maybe that's, that's a little bit of a connection there. Maybe there's something that they know. I love this. This is beautiful. We just figured it out. We cracked the code. I actually just thought of it as I was saying it. <laughs> uh, but you could also say maybe Kluber was tipping his pitches because the Yankees hit him around pretty good. Gardner had a two homer night. He always elevates his game in the big moments against the big pitchers. He tied that game off Kluber. There was a line shot down the line, barely got out, but it was a missile. Nine of his, uh, he has nine home runs this season. Six of them have either given the Yankees the lead or tied the game. So he's been clutched this season with his home runs. And you could just tell as soon as that happened, like a, a switch flipped on in the Yankees offense and they started having better at bats. Yeah, I mean, I think they you, you could tell if there was a confidence level against Kluber. I mean, they they did get to him twice in the playoffs last year. And, and this, this, so it's not a guy that they're – I don't think they walk in and say, okay, it's Corey Kluber, one of the best pitchers in baseball. We're intimidated. You know, watch out. We're, we're in for a tough, hard day. I think they have a, 
a level of confidence. I mean, yeah, they respect him in the sense that they know it's going to be, it's not going to be easy, but I think they have a lot of confidence in him with their at-bats. I mean, they've, they've gotten to him before in big situations. So they know that they have that in their back pocket. They know that they've done this before. And I think when you have that, when you have that belief, when you've done something before, I mean, it just gives you that much more confidence to say, okay, I could do it again. If I've already done it once, I can do it again. And maybe there's a little bit of doubt in Kluber's mind as well, because he knows that that offense and and majority of the guys are, are, are the same has gotten to him before and in big situations. So, you know, maybe uh, there, there's some there's some uh, some mind games happening here as well. Indeed, he's one of those guys, another home run off Kluber. That has to be in Kluber's head, right? Oh, After no the doubt about it. homer game in game five and now another one, new season. You know, there was some rumors that maybe Kluber was not fully healthy in the playoffs last year. That's why the Yankees tagged him around pretty good. But he seems fine now. He's having a fantastic season and, and Didi gets him again. I mean, Didi's Didi loves hitting against Corey Kluber. It's uh, loves it's, hitting in Cleveland. Loves hitting in Cleveland. The guy is the guy's a machine in Cleveland and against Corey Kluber. So I, I love the fact that it continued because now it could just play into the next time they play as the, as the narrative how how Didi has you know he'll walk in with some confidence. Kluber will walk in with a little bit of a doubt when uh, when Didi gets up and we'll see who wins. I like it. I like it. It's, it gives the edge to Didi in my opinion. I also want to talk about Tyler Wade, who came into that game late. And you remember the play he made running uh, yeah. back over his shoulder? It was, was a, a phenomenal play. It was super athletic. When you see the replay, too, and you can see how actually how far he yeah. jumped and stretched, it was it was ridiculous. Great play. But after or late in the game, I saw Gardner talking to him on the bench. They were they were just one on one talking, and it, and it sort of got me thinking because I remember I mentioned this on the podcast earlier in the season when Tyler Wade was struggling that his game right now Tyler Wade he's a slappy left-handed hitter who's relying on his speed and his defense that's what got him to the major leagues that's what Brett Gardner was when he came up in 2008 and look at the evolution of Brett Gardner over the last 10 years he's now a threat he's a guy who can park a two-run shot off of Corey Kluber in the big moments he's not a home run hitter but he's got power he's got on-base percentage so Maybe that's the the path that Tyler Wade's career can go is sort of evolving the way Brett Gardner evolved. Yeah, there's definitely going to be an. I think with with Tyler Wade too, like physical development is going to be something. But he he's still like he's still got that baby face, like young guy. It doesn't even seem oh, he looks like he's twelve on the bench. But I'm saying he doesn't look like he's gotten to that point where his uh, you know he's. He's got all his muscle, you know what I mean, where he's like fully <laughs> developed as a, um, as a, as a man. Uh, whereas Gardner, if you look at it like early on, he was like super skinny guy. And, um, but you know, he, he built the, he, he's, he's definitely a lot more built now and he's, he's, uh, he's able to control his body better. And I think when you get to that point, when you're, when you're on that like peak physical, um, ability and then you have the talent that they do, you know, it starts to click. And I mean, some say the, the, the majority of your talent is not, completely brought out until you're like 26, 27, 28, 29, and you're at your your peak physical condition at that point, peak strength. And, and then you can start really doing that. And I think Tyler Wade's a similar guy. And we, we Gardner's talked about this, how Tyler Wade reminds him of himself, uh, you know, with the type of uh, player that he is. I think we have some more flexibility with Tyler Wade. Obviously, he plays the infield. Um, and, and, you know, he's hit all through the minor league. So it's not like they haven't seen him hit. And it's not like he's just a speed guy who has a good glove. He can hit, and we and they've seen it. And this time up, seems like a different guy. It definitely seems like he's a lot more confident, um, and, and is uh, and is rolling off of um, you know building just that confidence and rolling off of it. First first career home run, it's awesome. So you're saying Tyler Wade's not a man yet? Maybe we can just yeah. get him a, a quick bar mitzvah. <laughs> it was this getting week yeah, it was, the All Star break. Turn him into a man. Yeah, it was really. No, he's not I, Jewish, but whatever. <laughs> 
I was really choking on that one. I, I didn't know how to describe it. But yeah, you know, it's like getting to your your peak physical condition. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's still uh-huh. got more. Uh, you, you, they talk about this in the NFL a lot, you know, or, or the NBA where guys just come in too skinny and they got to put muscle on. I think Tyler Wade actually is that kind of guy. I think he he needs to, uh, you know, he needs to lift. Do you even lift, bro? Like the kid needs to get in the weight room a little bit. Well, Neil Walker's still playing. Not every day. I mean, Tyler Wade got a couple starts over the weekend, but Walker's still there. And I don't know when Glaber Torres comes back. People are, I think, are hoping Neil Walker gets let go. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't think anybody knows it's going to happen. I think we we expected it to happen a while ago, and it didn't happen. And, and now he's actually playing a little bit better. He's been hitting the ball definitely better than he had been in, in quite some time. Um, he hit a home run off of Trevor Bauer today, which not many people have done this year. I think what six home runs, something like that, uh, that he's given up all year long. And Neil Walker is one of them now. So, you know, you look at that stuff and you see that he's, he's starting to square the ball up a little bit more. He does have that flexibility. I could see them. Uh, I was, I was, it, it's, it's one of those things like you look at him and you've been dealing with him for a while and he hasn't been hitting. But at the same time, you're looking at what you thought you had with him and you were good with that because we all, we were good with what we thought we had with him and it just didn't work out. But what do you, now, wait, what do you mean by that? By the bat, like if he actually starts to hit, he could be an asset for this team. Oh, you mean what Neil Walker was, say, his career before coming to the Yankees? Yes, what we thought we were getting with Neil Walker and what we actually got in the first half. Well, you look over the last week and a half and he's starting to hit the ball more. So if he starts hitting the ball more and the Yankees see that and th- and th- he becomes that guy, well, you know, I think a lot of people's tune will change because he will become an asset if he starts swinging the bat. I mean, absolutely. He's a career 778 OPS guy coming into this year, and he currently has a 548 OPS. So that's, that, a, that's the thing. Dramatic I mean, difference. But what, what, what I think he's done this past week, week and a half, is definitely bought himself some more time. Um, and you every know, time we think the he the last straw has broken for Neil Walker, he does something that keeps him around. Yeah, and he's been hitting, and that's that's. They will send Tyler Wade back down to get more work. Well, obviously, there's no doubt about it. So I I, I still I think when we're we're coming up when Tor, uh, when Torres is back, it's going to be Neil Walker at least in the short term. They're they're not in a huge rush because they also all those things all those tools that you said that, that uh, the Yankees can use for Tyler Wade. You know, they could absolutely use them in September after he is, uh, you know, working on them and getting better playing every day in Scranton. So there's you got to look at both sides of that. I think there's there's some um, there's actually some pros having him continue to develop, you know, as long as they're not they don't have a a glaring need for a utility guy. And last episode, we kind of uh, neglected to mention because we were talking about the utility guy and where's Ronald Torres. Well, he was actually on family leave. He was having I think his wife is having some medical issues, which is probably the whole reason in the first place that they went to Tyler Wade and not Ronald Torres. Yeah, most likely. And that's and that's exactly um, that's exactly the situation. So hopefully, um, you know, I haven't seen what, what the deal was in the past couple of day or two, but hopefully things are working out. okay with uh, with uh, with toe. Right. So uh, the Yankees' defense Saturday night was was kind of ugly. It did not cost them the game, however. Um, we experienced the full roller coaster of Miguel Andujar in that sixth inning when he saved the game with that nice backhand play down the line and then coughed up the game with the way he played that very next ground ball with CeCe on the mound. Oh, I mean, I was live tweeting. I was tweeting for Brooks Pinstripes at that time and threw up the Andujar with the... Uh, you know, with the finger over the mouth 
after he made the great play. And I, I think before I could even hit send, he, he botched the second play. And it was, you know, when we're looking at the, the two, the two plays, he made a phenomenal play on the first one. It was really a, a great play the way that he was able to range um, and then make the throw. And the second ball just ate him up. It just, he, he, uh, he started up on it and then kind of second guessed himself and tried to back up on it. He fielded it, but it was too late at that point. Even if that throw was on the money, uh, runner was going to be safe. It looked like so. It was right. Eat it was unfortunate. Ball. Eat the ball. One run scores, and you live to see another day with the lead yeah. intact. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. But you know, at, in that moment when you're when you're trying to make the decision on to either back up or move forward on the ball, and you actually feel the ball, it's it's almost too hard too hard to make that judgment to not. Uh, to not throw it because if it was a strong throw, if he wasn't like on his back heels, like he was because he had to back up on the ball, he probably would have gotten the runner. So I don't know in the moment it's, it's tough to say to put that ball in your pocket because I think I still think he had, he thought he had an opportunity to get the runner. How many people tweeted you about Manny Machado immediately after that happened? Cause I had about 50 mentions saying, Oh, the Yankees don't need Manny Machado. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, after that and Duhar play. And just comparing the defense, I know people are, are down on Machado's defense at shortstop, which he is a below-average shortstop this year, but he's not a below-average third baseman. So just quick comparison, and Duhar this year at third, minus 12 defensive runs saved, and minus 22 UZR over 150 game span, whereas Machado last year at third base was plus 6 defensive runs saved and plus 2.3 UZR. So certainly, if the Yankees could just exchange Duhar for uh, Machado at third base... You do upgrade the defense. I mean, the whole the whole thing with Machado, this whole thing has been driving me crazy. So I'm I'm kind of glad it's slowly coming to an end now. And as we're recording this on Sunday, it's um he still hasn't moved. So that's that's where we are. But the the reports he's also are, not going to move obviously now before the All Star game because the Orioles need somebody in the in the All Star game. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but you know. It's not like that 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 we don't want Manny Machado on the team to to help the team. Like yes, he could help the team. There's no doubt. The problem is is all the situations around him, the contract, the the fact that you're going to have to give up significant pieces to get him for you know less than half of a year. There's just all these things around him are the reasons why that you know the does he upgrade the team? I mean, you'd be ridiculous to say that he doesn't upgrade the team. Of course he upgrades the team. It's the the matter of fact and how you're getting him is the is the purpose of the uh, of the pushback on Manny Machado. I don't think we need to explain our stance. I think people understand. It just drives me nuts. Saying. It drives me nuts. I mean, it's it's been well, ta- it's, it's taken over every social media platform been you know, for the past week and a half, two weeks. The last week has been the most insufferable week on Yankee social media since we've been doing this podcast. And it's because everyone's minds are just exploding with the possibility of Manny Machado. And I don't want to say that it's all Yankees fans, but there's a certain set of Yankee fans out there who treat the roster like it's MLB The Show. And you can just move players around and create a player, jack this guy's power up, and you have an all-star at every position. That's just not reality. You do not need to have a top three player at every single one of your freaking positions. You have to build a team. You have to build for the future while building for the present. And I understand Manny Machado is only 26 years old. And he is much better than Miguel Andujar. He's much better than 99% of the players in baseball. But again, it is not what this team needs right now. And I don't think mortgaging something for the future, because you're going to have to give something up, like you just said, makes any sense. But, hey, all-star, why, why wouldn't you want an all-star on your team? Just trade him. Just, just move, move the pieces around. Yeah, I mean, they won, a, uh, they won a World Series with Charlie Hayes playing third base. 
Scott Brosius, while he was a much better player with the Yankees than he was in his former life with uh, with Oakland, and you know he wasn't the the Manny Machado world. Like he was still a role player. The guy hit for average, but he was a role player. You need those types of guys. You don't need to have a superstar stud at third base, especially with the makeup of the current roster, to win a World Series. I'm sorry, you just don't. What well, you also, do need, Duhar's not a scrub either. No, I, I know. <laughs> what you do need is pitching. <laughs> and and it's not just all top flight pitching, but you also need depth. You need pitchers to actually throw. I was having this debate with uh, with somebody um, in, in, on our Bronx Pinstripes chat about about you know what guys we need to acquire. And I I understand that we all want the best p- uh, possible pitcher, and and getting a number one or number two would be ideal, no doubt about it. But when we're looking at who's available, we're just not seeing those guys that are that are truly obtainable. At least that's what it seems like right now. The guys that we're looking at, and I know we have a mailbag question, so we'll get to this and talk about more. But you need those guys. You need. I mean, look what they did last year. Jaime Garcia came over to, to what? To, to, to make them a better he, World he, Series no, contender? He was a warm body to just exactly. save, some, save some bullets out of the bullpen in the second half. But that's, that's the point. Those guys are going to be so needed. I, I think people are really overlooking the fact that this team is going to need those bodies maybe more than last year at the end of this season because they're already breaking down as a starting rotation. They're going to get a guy with your, I mean, that's what we all think. But as the season's going on, you know, arms get tired, bodies get tired. 38-year-old men get tired. Trust me, they do. CeCe's going to probably, you know, have to take some innings off. Who knows with Tanaka? There's going to need guys who who can get innings and, you know, if we're not looking at those guys at the trade deadline as well, I think it would be a mistake. I yeah, absolutely. And I think I think Cashman is looking at those guys. I mean, look what happened Friday night with Herman, who was coming off a fantastic outing, and exactly. he goes out there and gets shelled in the first two innings, and really doesn't give the Yankees much of a chance. Even though they almost came back, they kept fighting back, but it was too much of a hole against too good of a team too early. But that's the thing. Like the argument, so the, the argument for for a lot of people, I think, when when we're looking at free agency and and who they're looking at, oh well, he's not how he's not going to start a playoff game. Who's he going to start in front of in a playoff game? That's not the point. The point is is that you need guys to throw innings. Also, you need more pitchers in the starting rotation for them to actually get to the playoffs. Because no, not cannot, to get. They're going to get to the playoffs. But I'm it, sorry, but you at want the end, to win you the also division. Need you also need, especially knowing with with this wild card, the the different situations. You yes. still need guys, and if injuries can happen, and then you're put in a situation where you have to go off the street and get some some guy who hasn't pitched before, or someone who you know is uh, you have cash considerations, or the, you know all those late trades that happen, like those aren't the guys that we're going to want. You might as well, you know, take care of the depth now when you can actually like go out and try to find somebody that's you know has some upside. And crazy as it, as it is to say, one of those depth rotation guys might help this team out more than Manny Machado would. In the second half. Oh, a th- I mean, definitely. I can't say a thousand percent, but when you're looking, we talked about this last week, and uh, we've talked about it at nauseum. But the the difference is, like, if you're looking at Machado and how he's going to help the year, well, take away all of Anduar's stats, subtract them for what we would be getting from Machado too, and then look at the difference of the two. Like, it, it will be better. I have no doubt about that. It will be better, but how much better? I had is this conversation with someone on Twitter. It's probably two wins in the first half if you're going by WAR. Okay, two wins. So maybe two and a half. Two and a half. That's not going to be. That's probably not going to be the wild card. Maybe that's the, could be the division. Who knows? But right now they're yeah, right four games back. So yeah, it's crazy. Machado sources now the new the new uh, 
update as of Sunday evening. Sources are saying the Phillies, Brewers, and Dodgers are the closest to acquiring him. The Yankees are not as much of a player. We'll see. I'm not ruling out that the Yankees could get him because Brian Cashman is sneaky, sneaky like that. But when this is all said and done and Manny Machado is wearing Dodger blue, I think we might look back at this and say, Brian Cashman Cashman probably did make a call to the Orioles because that's what he does. He does his due diligence. And then someone floated it out there just to stir the shit pot. Thousand percent. This has been, I guarantee, stirred up by someone in the Baltimore system trying to raise the ante so that they can see who you know the the actual final offer is from the Phillies and the Dodgers. The, who the Dodgers need him, like a perfect fit over there. Prospects up the every uh, up every orifice you could possibly think of in L.A. <laughs> and you know that like it, it just it makes so much sense for him to be out there. I, I, so yes, I. I I really personally don't think that the Yankees were major players or are major players for Machado because it just doesn't make sense for this team. It on paper it just doesn't. I'm kind of questioning the Phillies too, honestly. Well, what'd you think of Tanaka today? Second start back off the disabled list. Um, I thought he was pretty good. I I, I thought he was. Uh, you know, again, I'm not going to get out of my shoes with him, um, but it's good to see him make progress. I think because I, I think it was progress. I think that we saw him um, a lot more efficient. He made a bad. It was the, I wouldn't even call it a, a terrible pitch to Encarnacion, but Encarnacion put a good swing on it um, and hit it out of the park. So we, we know that the home runs will be his his downfall uh, within a given start. Usually he's... Most he's, since the start of 2017. Yeah, he's got a ton. And he's able to, a lot of times, limit them to solo shots. But honestly, that really hasn't been the, the, the narrative with him over the last year and a half, uh, two years. It used to be the solo shot. Now we're seeing... Any, anything. It doesn't matter if there's runners on bases, but he's definitely more aggressive when there's no runners on base. So um, I didn't think it was a terrible pitch. I thought uh, Encarnacion just beat him on that particular ball. Uh, but when you see that that was really the only blemish of the uh, of the day, I was encouraged. And um, maybe Chad Green broke Encarnacion's hand later in the game to retaliate. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was brutal. That I actually thought it the way it sounded, which is even worse. I thought it hit the bat. Yeah. It made a loud, it made a crack noise. So hit the joint right where the wrist yeah. and the and the palm meet. Man, that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's sucks. not a good place. But uh, let's talk about Boone's decision to use Chad Green in that situation or bring him back out for a second inning of work, which I, I think is a fair second guess on Boone, on on our part on Boone. Yeah, definitely, because I think a lot of people were talking even about Tanaka and why why they brought Tanaka back out. And and again, uh, to that, I I don't think there was any purpose not to bring Tanaka out. Yes, he gave up the home run, but again, I don't think it was on a terrible pitch. I thought Tanaka was pitching well. Um, his pitch count, economical. His, his pitch count was, was good. Low. Yeah, so, and, and they're, again, they're trying to get him back up, uh, especially with the All-Star break. I feel like they're, they're trying to ramp that up, and they don't really want to pull him at, what what was it, 60 pitches, or a little bit more well, than that, maybe 70 six, pitches No, yeah, point. it was up in the 70s at that point, but yeah, they're trying to get the, the loose, quote-unquote, pitch count on Tanaka today was a hundred, which yeah. I think is barely a pitch, is a pitch limit because that's, that's him every, every every start. You're going to take Tanaka out around a hundred pitches. But right. yeah, they wanted especially before the All Star break, like you said, work him up to the hundred pitches. I think he got though. But but if you're looking at the game, looking at the situation in the fifth inning, he got uh, he gave up a couple hard hit balls, but the shift actually saved a run on him, or maybe not saved a run, but saved a big inning. Got a double play on I think Alonzo's ball up the yeah. middle. If Didi's not shifted up the middle, that ball's up the middle and it's first and third and one out. So you, you look at the game and say maybe Cleveland was starting to square him up. 
I guess. Uh, I I don't have a problem with that. So, but the green, the the one that you were talking about, the the green situation, to me, that's that's a situation where you know I I don't really know why he has to come back out. And and really, there was it. It seemed like it was green and and nobody else. I mean, th- at that point, um, green gave up a home Which run. Which is crazy. I, yeah, I don't understand that. I don't know why you're not treating it at that given moment with the All Star break ahead of you. Nobody has to worry about. You don't have to worry about blowing a guy out. You don't have to worry about you know using somebody too much. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You pretty much have the the full the, you know your full bullpen. It's not like anybody was really overworked. So you had guys to come in there. I don't know why it wasn't taking more of a careful approach. We saw Cleveland bringing Carrasco to come in and uh, and take care of the Yankees in the what was it the seventh inning I think. Eighth. So the eighth, it was it was a moment where you know they were. They basically had all everybody on on hand, ready to go, and and you know Frank Kona was using that uh, to his advantage. So I don't know why Boone wasn't. I don't know why Ted Green came out. I would have. Uh, I, I don't think I would have uh, sent him in, or I would have had a very very short leash, especially after that home run. You get you pulled. Probably weren't going to use Robertson because Robertson pitched an inning and a third on Saturday night. I think Batances and Chapman both were available. They each pitched an inning. I know Holder pitched two innings on Friday night, so he had Saturday off. I feel like yeah. that you could have used Holder sure. in that situation. I mean, at the same time, you're, you're sitting there saying Chad Green should be good enough to get through a second inning of work, but he wasn't. Yeah, well, the thing is, is once the home run is given up at that point, I mean, I'm coming somebody else, right? Like you should be bringing somebody else back. It just goes back to boom, bringing out a um, a guy for a second inning, um, and I know it wasn't he's, a full first he inning, it. but he does it all the time, and he does it a lot. Like it seems like, it seems like he does it almost every time. You know, like he's got this guy in there for two innings, and that's it. Well, I, I feel like we need to we need to start looking at these uh, at an alternate alternative plan. At least be ready for it, because if he's not if he's not if he comes out flat after sitting in the uh, in the dugout and he comes out flat and he's not throwing strikes or leaves the ball up and the ball gets hammered, you know why are we, why are we not have another guy ready to come in just in case, especially on this situation with Chad Green? People are seeing his season, which is good, but it's not the unhittable historically good Chad Green that we saw in 2017. Right, and we talked about this year. Uh, we talked about this last week. With his he's, slider, he, he's his slider. being used differently too, though. He's also being used. I mean, the, yeah. we had um, where, where where Girardi wouldn't use him on back to back days. Now he's getting used for uh, you know two innings almost every time, and he's just you know there's there's not that consistency. Um, which I agree. And a lot of people would, would get on Girardi where like you don't need that consistency every time. Like, can we use he a guy in, him with in a different gloves. situation? Yeah, and it worked, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, let's get to mailbags. If you guys want to submit mailbag questions, go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And there's a form that you can fill out. It goes to the email uh, and you can submit questions there or you can tweet us at Yankees podcast or join the Facebook group and post questions there. It's the Bronx Pinstripe Show on Facebook. First question is from Evan McBeth, actually in the Facebook group. He says, should we be worried about Sevi? So quickly, after the game, Luis Severino was asked, what's wrong? And he said he has no concerns. Everything was fine. Um, But I think maybe the Yankees uh, noticed that Severino struggled and that he struggled in his game in Toronto, too. And when you look at the pitching order coming out of the break, it's going to be Herman, Sonny Gray, and Tanaka against the Mets. And Severino's not pitching until the Rays series. So they're kind of giving him a little bit of a breather, which I think is 100% the right move. Yeah, I'm not worried about Severino in in the least bit. Not even not even a little bit. I think he's uh, he's he's totally good. I think his um, I don't I don't really know what we're worried about. I mean, that the fact that he had 
uh, a, a well, bit the, of a, a are we worried struggle. that he didn't go out and shut them down for seven innings? That's like the he thing. Does like, everybody else? Yeah. If we're talking about that, then yeah, super worried about that. But <laughs> the um, the fact that he's going to come back out fully rested, ready to go uh, for the second half, and to be our number one, our ace, our horse, I have full confidence. Full confidence in that. So no, I have zero worry about him. I love Severino. I love how he's he's really uh, he's taken this entire situation of being the number one guy and it really seems like he's embraced it he works fast he works confident i love the guy i i got no uh no qualms no worries about it you ready for a hot take from my dad let's hear it he he is worried about severino in big games and he would rather have sabathia on the mound in a wild in a one game wild card than severino yeah i mean i don't get that but <laughs> i mean i i understand uh i i do understand the confidence in cc because i think a lot of people will Will um, they, they've seen CC for a long time? They know that he's kind of reinvented himself. So now he is, you know, he's still the, he's still the guy that that people have confidence in because he's had such success in his past, and he's um, he's he's such a good cerebral pitcher as well that he gets up for these moments. And I think there's, you know, they don't look at the. Uh, at, you know the the balls that they're throwing. The fact that that CC's uh, will walk more guys and more of a junk ball guy, and, and can definitely get into situations that are um, a lot tougher when you're looking at a one game situation. Whereas Severino has the stuff that could blow people away and, and just end end a, end a game quickly. So well, I don't know. The season ends today. The Yankees are playing Seattle in the one game wild card. Do you throw Sabathia so you can save Severino for the Red Sox in Game One? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I throw Severino. I win the game and get to the playoffs because the the to me the the one game wild card is a play in, and you got to yes. be there to you got to be uh, at the, you get playoff, at the dance. You get, you get playoff. Uh, you get the. Raise I mean, I understand what it is. I, I know what it technically is, but I don't know any. If you think that feels like a playoff, did twenty fifteen feel like a playoff? No. <laughs> uh, okay, what do we have next? All right, next one is from Dylan. Pimentel, he's at Dill B P T E L on Twitter, I guess. Uh, assuming we can't get an ace, DeGrom, Thor, or Mad Bum, would anyone be worth acquiring? Hap, Hamels, Fulmer. Uh, it feels like we should get a good look at Sheffield before making a trade, don't you think? Well, first of all, let me answer. The, the Sheffield thing is, uh, is tough because... One, I don't think he's he's really in line for for if he if he were to come up major work this year. You know, I think it's still a long shot for him to come up in the first place. But if he were to come up, I don't think he's in line for major work because, you know, he just hasn't thrown that. I think they're going to be more careful with him. So I I don't we we certainly can't rely on a guy like Sheffield, even if he were to pitch well um, as a guy that they can depend on down the stretch. Yeah, I don't think the Yankees trading for a pitcher and uh, Justice Sheffield getting. Uh, some time a start or two are mutually exclusive like right. why can't I both of those that. things happen for sure no they uh, absolutely can and they and they and they very well might right but so i think dylan is expressing something we talked about a few minutes ago where uh yankee fans are saying if we can't get somebody to start game two of the playoffs then what's the point and i just think that right. is so wrong looking at how the second half is going to shape up and how how uh already worked the Yankees bullpen is and how up in the air the Yankees rotation is after Luis Severino. Yeah, no, I mean that we the Yankees have to start looking at these at these other guys and I think as Yankee fans for you to get your expectations in line, you should be looking around the major leagues and and seeing who's 
who's going to be sellers and and what their rotation looks like and who's controlled, who's not, and what we can get for these guys. Because there are some, you know, wild card guys out there. There's a lot of guys that you probably haven't even heard of, but there are people, there are guys out there that, that are um, obtainable, at least on the, on the surface looks obtainable that, that could help the Yankees. They're not going to be a number one. They're not going to be a number two, but they could help. And that's what we're going to do with answering the next few mailbag questions. But so let's check in on some of the guys Dylan mentioned. Ja Hap, last five starts entering the All-Star break. 25 and a third innings, 32 hits allowed, 20 earned runs. He gave up the, the grand slam heard round the world to Mookie Betts at Fenway Park in a 46-pitch inning the other night. Cole Hamill's last four starts entering the All-Star break. 17 innings pitched, 28 hits, 18 earned runs, a 995 OPS allowed. Almost 1,000 OPS allowed by Cole Hamill's. Michael Fulmer, last five starts, 31 innings, 36 hits, 20 runs, 19 of them earned. He gave up 10 hits in four and two-thirds innings in his last start. So, bunch of trash out there. They're going dumpster diving. I mean... So I think a lot of these guys, the three mentioned right there, it really depends on what the package would be to get them. Because if you're looking at a guy like like J-Hap, Cole Hamels, and you're, you're they're asking for significant prospects, uh, a guy that can help your team you know, in a year, maybe two years, then you really have to consider what you're going to be doing at that point. Because is, is it going to be worth it? Because if you start looking around the major leagues, you can get guys that are similar players to these two guys. They don't have the names of those guys, but there are similar players uh, that that I think would cost a lot less than than what you're getting. J Hap and, and not to mention J Hap in division. You know, there's going to be a level of premium because of that alone. So I don't know. It, it, I fully trust Cashman in the sense that he's going to look at these packages. He's going to assess them and do a risk reward analysis and say, this is worth it. This is not worth it. I can get this guy, you know, and, and there's going to be a marginal difference. So I think and, a lot of people are just out of whack with their with the way that they're thinking about some of these guys. And, and a lot of people have been talking about J-Hap with his success against the Red Sox and success against, uh, I think, Houston. Um, because his numbers are better when you look at those two. I mean, yes, he did just give up the monster shot to Mookie Betts. Um, but... Overall, I think he's had decent numbers against them. And Happ and Hamels, I think their their stock is coming down, and, and I don't think either of them would cost significant prospects. Fulmer, despite the fact that he struggled this season, is still team-controlled for a long time, yeah. so he will cost significant prospects. Yeah, absolutely. They'll they'll look at you know the performance from when he was uh, you know rookie of the year type type guy not the not the performance right now that'll be the the sales pitch on that one but again that's that's going to be a significant prospect so they have to the Yankees have to be convinced not only that he's worth it but that they they're fully convinced of his health as well because I think that's a that's a major consideration at this point is he really healthy is he pitching at full health right now and and now the injury has affected the way he pitches or is he still have lingering injuries or you know what's going on with him why is he pitching this way and the next thing you got to do is you got to start looking around and seeing what teams you think are going to be sellers. And we were kind of doing that in our Facebook group. And some of the names that were thrown around were Danny Duffy from the Royals, Kyle Gibson from the Twins, Gio Gonzalez because Washington has been struggling, and obviously uh, your your new binky Matt Harvey um, <laughs> are all guys that Cashman's probably looking at. Yeah, and I think he's got to look at these guys. So the names I was looking at Danny Duffy and looking at Kyle Gibson, they're not they're not flashy guys. Danny Duffy's definitely going to cost more money for sure because I think he's got a couple more years left of a fifteen and sixteen million dollar contract. So he would he would be a guy that would would cost money and would be uh, you'd have to be you know convinced that he's going to be part of your rotation well, for the next. Uh, but two at the three same years. time, I mean, he's he might not cost a lot prospects wise because KC right. might want to just get out of that fifteen million a year. Yeah, I just looked it up. He's owed um, yeah, fifteen he's and owed sixteen, I think. 
Yep, through 2021. Then, but my point is, is that you're gonna you're gonna have Danny Duffy in your rotation then for the next two years. So <laughs> you gotta be you gotta be good with that. We gotta be at a place where we're happy with that. And, I, and do you want to be paying Danny Duffy fifteen million yeah, bucks a year? Exactly. Uh, not you know once once this uh, once this cap resets or the the luxury tax resets, I don't think it's as big of an issue. But um, Kyle Gibson's another guy who I think is he's a free agent after the year. I'm looking at Kyle Gibson. I kind of have him circled because he's not a flashy guy, but he's having a, a pretty good year as far as um, when you when you look down the line of the guys that who are obtained. He's a free agent after the year. The Twins are not in a position to do anything. They've done business with the Twins before. He's a guy that you know would take some uh, a package worth of, that that we wouldn't even know the guy's name is most likely, and could come in and and contribute and keep guys in the game and and uh, and pitch innings. I think he's one of those guys that I was talking about that could have some type of a role down the stretch in the sense that he's going to be coming out every fifth day and he's going to he's going to give you an opportunity to win games. So you're telling me. You're going to have Danny Duffy start game two of the American League Division Series. You are out of your damn mind. The other thing that I think people have to realize that I, I don't even know if is, uh, is even crossed anybody's brain because it's barely crossed our brains as well. It's like, I think the Yankees have to absolutely rely on the fact that Sonny Gray is going to come back. Because oh you, God, I'm serious. You you can't one just, good start going into the all. No, no, no. no. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he is. I'm, I'm not saying that he's coming back. That he's that he's back in the in in the sense that he's back right now. I'm saying that the Yankees almost have to rely on the fact that he will come back to That's some scary. semblance of himself. That's scary. Because if you start looking around, you know it's and you, you're taking Sonny Gray out of that rotation now too. You need to you need you need more than one starter no matter what. You just yeah. do. So I think at some point, Brian Cashman has to circle Sonny Gray and be like, look, our season is still kind of dependent on this guy coming back. Like, we need him more than ever to come back and find his stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a sad reality, but I think it's a reality. I think the Yankees absolutely need him to, to, to still be a, uh, an effective pitcher. Well, like, again, we've talked about this. It also changes the entire outlook on the rotation. If Sonny Gray is what we expected him to be, a number two starter, then... That totally changes what the Yankees have to do on July 31st. They still will get a starter, but you don't need to get desperate at that point. But the, but that's the thing. There's no des- the problem with with this this year's trade deadline is those desperate moves. Like who are they? Uh, you have to. I don't even know if they're available. The, well, these t- desperate. We got a couple these, more questions. Maybe some of these guys are. Desperate. A lot of these desperation moves are, are just you know they're not there. They're not they're not available for the taking unless you're giving up some major assets. Jake Housel, Housel underscore Jake on Twitter says, I love Glaber Torres, but I would trade him for DeGrom. So, mm. Scott, would you trade Glaber Torres for Jacob DeGrom? I would not trade Glaber Torres for Jacob DeGrom. Would you I trade would... him for anybody? No. No, because DeGrom would be the guy. DeGrom here, would be the only, would be the, the best option. Do you think that the Yankees in 2018 are better with Jacob DeGrom in the rotation and Brandon Drury or Tyler Wade and Neil Walker at second base, or no Jacob DeGrom and Glaber Torres at second base. See, that's short-sighted, though, because I'm not just thinking about 2018. Oh, it's a thousand percent short-sighted. But yeah. that is the argument that people are making out there for trading Glaber Torres, that DeGrom gives you a better chance to win the 2018 World Series than, than Glaber Torres. I right. get that. <laughs> but Glaber Torres is going to be here for the next 15 years, and Jacob DeGrom is not. If you're not looking at the long term, if you're not looking beyond 2018 for what this team has has how this team is is constructed and what they've built. I mean, do people do we forget that that 2000 we were looking at 2019 as the year that we were ready to contend. 2019 
was the year that, that everybody had circled as this, that was the year ready to go. They're still ahead of schedule in the sense that they, that they, you know, got to the playoffs and made a deep run last year. Like, I think this is you the year that, that they were trying to make though. it. That I know it changed everything. everything. They I, went out and got Stanton. So it's I, no longer. I get that. I get that. But there still has to be, they, there still has to be the thought of what's, what's going to happen in the future. How can this be sustainable for more than one year? And selling a guy like Glaber Torres, while you're getting a phenomenal pitcher, it's just not the it's just not the answer. It's just not because there's things that can be done in free agency. There's things that can be done, you know, outside uh, when the season is is not playing, when it's not happening, where you're not in a position where you do have to give up, uh, you know, a major asset because you're pinned against uh, the corner at a trade deadline. It's just not the best time to make a high leverage trade like that. What is next? The next one is from Chocolate. Nope. Chocolate Thunder Vinny. at Nerdy McGurdy. Vinny, sorry, I skipped you. Vinny says, I saw a story that the Angels may be willing to part with Skaggs or Heaney. I'd rather land one of these two than Hap or Hamels. Thoughts on, on these two? I love this. This is, this is like in the realm of possibility here. And people always go wild for the uh, Yankees-Angels because of Epler and the connection with, Ka- with yeah. Cashman. So. I mean, it's a real thing. It's a real connection. Uh, sure. Uh, Skaggs, free agent, not until 2021. Heaney, 2022. They're both left-handed pitchers in their, I think, both 27 years old. Uh, Heaney had that surgery, missed a lot of 2016. Uh, but the Angels are definitely going to be, I don't know if they're going to be sellers, they're, but they're not contenders. They're now nine games in back of Seattle for the second wildcard spot, and they are now fourth in their division. <laughs> the Billy Bean Oakland Athletics are, are above the Angels at this point. Just when Otani went down, the Angels tanked. Yeah, and they're in a weird situation too because their roster is still ready to compete for next year as well. Like they're they think that they're closer than a lot of these teams that are you know going to be selling. So they're not going to be necessarily just selling everybody. They're not going to be a fire sale with the Angels, but one of these two guys I could see being moved. And I think I think this is the type of player where there's there's some upside, um, but there's also you know some, some controllability, and it's not going to cost an arm and a leg to get one of these guys. But I, I, I do well, think you're going to give know. up. A, I disagree. You're going to be giving up a lot because they're both team controlled. And if you're the Angels, you're not just going to be you're not going to be looking for prospects that are five years away. You might want to look at a prospect that is going to help you next season. You're looking at guys that you can plug into your starting lineup right. immediately because, like you said, they want to contend in 2019. But I'm not. I'm, what I'm talking about is I'm not. I'm not saying that it's going to be. You're going to have to give up people. There's no doubt. But because they're controlled, because they will help your team into the future, um, you're you're okay with doing that at this point. Like these guys have potential. It's not like we're we're trying to get a guy just for the end of this year who is um, who is a free agent and, and we have no no control or maybe even just one year. Like these these are relatively younger guys. What are they? What did we say? 27, 27 years old. Okay, so that's that's a that's a great age where you have these guys entering. You know, theoretically. They're they're prime and they're controlled. So you will give up an asset. Like I could see a guy like Clint Frazier going in a deal like this. It's, but it all also matters what the angels are looking for. Like we right. were saying, like they're, they don't need really outfield help. No, they, they, I don't know who they'd be asking for when we're looking at their lineup. Uh, they're pretty good in the outfield unless, unless right field changed, you know, they, they could, uh, they could make a move for a right fielder or shift guys around. Um, to to really import and bring in a guy like Frazier, but I think Frazier's probably along the along the level of a guy that that would be dealt. Billy McKinney, I think, is a name that nobody's really talked about, but still has some uh, right. Some but he's not going to be status. a centerpiece. Not going to be a centerpiece, but he will be a guy that could contribute. But we're on board with somebody like those two guys being exactly what I think. Uh, 
Cashman would love to bring back, where it helps you immediately, helps you the next three years. Right, but you're not giving up a guy like Andujar. That's the, the, for a position that you know, unless, he's going to be playing uh, for unless, a long time. Unless they just don't like him at all, which is the rumor. No, I'm saying unless <laughs> unless they got um, Manny Machado in their oh, back right. pocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is... Uh, which I, can't, right. I cannot wait for him to go to the National League. I really can't. The, I mean, it, it's really interesting, too, because I think if you're looking at the way that the Yankees are setting up for the, for future years, too, and, and we know what's happening in left field right now, right? Brett Gardner has a, an option, and he's playing out of his mind right now. He's really playing well. It's going to be very difficult for the Yankees to, uh, to look at that and not pick it up. Chocolate and, Thunder. And then yeah. what do you do with Frazier? Sorry. Yeah, no, that, exactly. Clint Frazier, we've, talked, we've said this for a year now. Clint Frazier, where's the place for him? Yeah, if, if Gardner is on this team next year, you can't send Clint Frazier back to AAA. You just can't do it. He's not a AAA player. You're saying next year? Next year, yes. Because they just sent him back to no, AAA. No, I know. <laughs> I'm saying for next year. You can't bring him into another year as a AAA guy. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it, oh, it's it doesn't totally, look right. The optics are terrible. Yeah, and he has, he's already a major league player, and yeah. he was a major league player this year. So, Okay, Chocolate Thunder, Nerdy McGurdy on Twitter says, I wonder if the Cardinals are sellers now. They have some good young pitching, and they fired their manager, Mike Matheny. I like this little uh, tidbit. It's the first time the Cardinals have changed managers during a season since 1995 when Joe Torre was let go and re- replaced by Mike Jorgensen. That's, I love that. It's the uh, start of the Torre era, which, which is ironic because Joe Girardi yeah, it's talking true. about uh, maybe, maybe the next St. Louis manager. I mean, uh, yeah, he kind of fits the bill over there, right? It, it looks it makes connections. sense. Yeah. Yep. I could absolutely see that. I could absolutely see the, you know, the, they're, they're another one of those organizations that they don't like to fire managers. They like to, to keep guys uh, for, for the longer term. And uh, how long was Matheny there? Seven. He was, seven, was he seven years. Okay. So, you know, they're, they're definitely the, the type of organization that likes to keep a guy around. And I could see Girardi fitting in there nicely. Um, maybe he's too much like Matheny, though. Maybe that's a problem. The Cardinals are four games in back of the second wild card. They've been struggling. They're hovering around 500. I think they're going to try and make a run out of the All-Star break, but if they don't, I could see them selling, especially because Waka and Wainwright are both out for, for at least another month. They have a ton of young pitching. I was going through They always do. Today. That's like one of their best attributes is starting pitching development. They've got this kid, Luke Weaver, who they just sent back to AAA. He's throwing 103 innings for them. He's only 24. His ERA is high, but... He's only 24, and he's got had uh, last two starts have been good. We know about Carlos Martinez; he's locked up to 2023. Jake Flaherty and and John Gant—they've been using Gant as a swingman, and Flaherty has a 3.24 ERA. Those guys are both pre-arbitration. These guys are young as shit. Yeah, who's your boy now? Bring out your unicorn, Miles Mikolas. I love this guy. Did some digging on him. Listen to this. You're gonna fall in love with him too. So. He's back after pitching in Japan for two seasons. He's thrown 115 innings to a 265 ERA. He is an all-star this season. He looks like, go look at his picture right now. I tweeted I out saw it. I saw the picture. He looks like every white dad from 1987. He's Magnum He's got P. a mullet. He's got the porn stash. It is fantastic. And his nickname is the Lizard King. This guy needs to be on the New York Yankees. Well, you know the stash. Well, he can keep the stash actually. Oh, you can keep the, the mullet. Stash. The mullet. Have to trim up that mullet. Just look yeah, at Donnie just Baseball a little bit. in the late. You can do it a little 80s. bit. Just model him after that. <laughs> the Lizard King. 
you know, the, these guys are interesting. The ones that that go overseas and you know f- kind of find themselves later in their in their days and then uh, have a resurgence and, yeah, and come find back themselves. And, and have some success. Just eating a bunch of sushi over there. Yeah, well, I mean, you do have a lot of you have these late bloomers that that can that can develop. But a guy like that is, I mean, when you're looking at a trade and you're looking at capturing lightning in a bottle type of type of situation where you know he's controlled to uh, for the contract. It's um, interesting because yeah, you were talking about the arbitration. Yeah, so it's very interesting because you look and he signed a two-year contract worth $15.5 million. Great contract. But but he still could go through arbitration even though he's 29 years old. Now, a lot of times what teams do is because they don't want to put a 31-year-old or a 30-year-old through arbitration, that's kind of uh, mean, especially if a guy's pitching to a 265 ERA. They'll non-tender him a contract or work something out. But that doesn't that, – that means Mikolas has no leverage and St. Louis has all the leverage here. Yeah, and – it's interesting because it sounds like you know that's so that's beyond the the two year control. I mean, theoretically, you could think of that as a um, you know at least three year control guy who's right. twenty nine years old, who's a rookie hitting his prime right now. So I mean, that's that's an attractive player when you're when you're seeing all of that and you see the numbers that he's putting up. So yeah, I, I you know it's it's it, it'll be interesting to see how the St. Louis Cardinals approach the deadline because. Um, you know, we saw how the twins made, uh, you know, they were selling assets and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're, they're bringing people in because they're, they, they lost six games and now they're back in it and, um, maybe they won't sell too early. So they could be, you know, if they're, if they're struggling, uh, in the last week or the, you know, last three, four days up leading up to the deadline, they might be, uh, they might be contenders at that point to sell off. So that may push things back as, as far as other deals going on as well um, if they're if they're not like declared as sellers yet, yeah, and I don't think the Cardinals trading him would be breaking it down and rebuilding. That is just a minor retool where they right. could still compete next year. They have starting pitching. Also, um, uh, oh crap, I'm drawing a blank on it. Alex Reyes, right? Yes, he's injured as well. So they they've got so much young pitching. Where if they could get a Clint Frazier ready player. I don't know if that's too much for this guy. I was going to say, now you're giving up Frazier for some kid, some guy that just came back from Japan, the Lizard King? Exactly. I don't know. But I think that is what, how you convince the Cardinals to give him up is here's a player you can plug in now and we get a pitcher who is really hot right now and we have a little bit of control over. Billy McKinney feels like a better player for that trade. Well, it's going to cost more than that. I'm saying, you, but I could see him going in there contributing. He feels like a St. Louis Cardinal type of player too. I could see him, um, you know, moving around. Billy McKinney goes to the Cardinals, has a 12 year career. You know, hits 278, really good on base percentage. He's loved, and he go, he's the Cardinal way. Here we go. I'm out here. I got a conspiracy theory that I just thought of. All right, so Mike Matheny is out as manager. Joe Girardi gets hired as manager pre-trade deadline. Now, Girardi has influence and knows the Yankees system. Knows Billy McKinney, loves the kid, good kid, good Christian kid, loves all these things like the, you know, the all the all the things that Girardi loves about him and has insight on a couple of these guys that are in low A that he in particular has uh, you know, affectionate and 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 loves as long-term options. Could see that done. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Just give me the Lizard King. Just not for uh, Red Thunder. What's the last question? Next is from uh, Mike Azaro. Now that Boone has managed a full half season, what do you what do you think of the job he's done? What would you grade him so far? And any comparisons to Joe Girardi? Zero comparisons to Joe Girardi, but many comparisons have, as we've highlighted over the first half to Joe Torre. Yeah, no, I think he's he's. Um, but I'm, you know, I think Boone has very much carved himself into uh, his own his own guy. 
Uh, I think we're seeing, we, I think optically, like when we're looking at the two of them and he, he does some of those boon and he was doing those Tory things early on. I haven't really seen it as much lately, honestly, but he also, a lot of the comments he has post game, I, I think are more Joe Tory esque than Joe Girardi esque. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's a guy that, uh, let me let me just cut to the cut to the chase and get to the the grade. I'm I'm giving him um, a, a solid B for for what he's done, maybe even a B plus. Yeah, I'd say B is a little low because I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that that he's had to figure out as the as the time has gone on in the first half. And, and yes, he was given a very talented team, and a lot of them did the work for him. Like, there's not really much you have to do with that lineup. These guys will 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 pretty much take care of it. Uh, but I think he's also shown how he manages his bullpen, and it's very different than Joe Girardi. And we've you know gone through ups and downs with that, uh, where he's in the beginning of the season had maybe a lot of confidence in a guy like Holder, where we all were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And then we come back and we see, well, maybe that paid off because now Holder is a key asset in this bullpen. Um, we saw today with Chad Green leaving him in a little too long. He's definitely a longer guy with some of his bullpen guys. Um, that being said, I like what he's done. I like the fact that there is some uh, a different level of aggressiveness. There were a lot of people talking about this. Uh, the the what was that Tuesday night where uh, I'm sorry Thursday night where where Judge got caught stealing was it Thursday night? No, that was that was Friday night. Friday when Judge night. got caught stealing in the eighth inning. Yeah. He sent him and you had Didi up and Stanton w- was coming up after. Right. That. So it was uh, what I'm what I'm thinking of was Thursday night when um, when Aaron Hicks hit that hit that ball over the center fielder's head. And I think Didi was on base. Didi was running on the pitch, scored from first base. Everybody was like, wow, great play. Didi scored, awesome play, phenomenal. If Varon Judge is safe at second base, nobody's talking about that. They're like, wow, good aggressive play. At the same tone, everybody's complaining about the Yankees are too dependent on the long ball. Yet this guy goes out there and tries to do some aggressive plays where getting a guy running, a little, a little bit of a, a hit and run. Um, I like that. I like him being aggressive, especially in situations where you're not expecting it. They saw something in the delivery and they thought they could steal a bag. And unfortunately, there was a great throw and a great tag and he was out by a hair. It, it happens. You're going to get them. The, the, the call's not going to go your way sometimes. But I think the situation in doing that, I like the aggressiveness. So I think there's, there's things like that, that that people are killing him for. Um, whereas if they had worked out literally like a hair different, they would have been praising for him for aggressiveness. And if, if Stanton goes up there and hits a, a ground ball in the in the hole and Judge scores from second, Aaron Boone is a totally different guy than, than he was uh, because Stanton hit the home run the next inning. You but, know that I mean? is, so, but that's the thing. It's all Monday morning quarterback That's stuff. manager second-guessing one-on-one. I get it. That's just how it goes. That's the job you sign up for. And part of my grading, though, is the fact that I like that aggressiveness. I like the fact that he would send a guy that because he sees something and take a bit of a gamble and not just rely on the ball, leaving the ballpark to score that run. And I like that. I think that's a good thing. And I think it's a good way to uh, show confidence in your guys and to, to tell them, hey, we're not only going to score with the home run ball. We're going to be aggressive. On no, the they're going to also score with the Little League home run ball. Yeah. So, you know, I like that, that mindset. And I think he does. I think he brings a different mindset to, the, uh, to this team. And I think the team really likes Aaron Boone. So I was, okay, I'm changing was my be... grade. It's definitely a B plus. Yeah, I would say it's a B plus, borderline A minus. Um, they're 29 games over 500. I understand they're four and a half back, but I do think that the team has responded to Boone. And that was probably the biggest question, right? Like all this other baseball stuff, 
he obviously has been in baseball his entire life, and you learn on the job. He made some mistakes in the beginning, which we crushed him for, and he's evolved. But the biggest question is, how is the team going to play for and respond to Boone? And I don't think you could argue they're they're responding to him. They're a really good team. So I, I mean, I, I kind of disagree. I kind of disagree with that though, because I think that's that's why he was brought in here because of the way that he manages. Yes, but you uh, don't know until it's out there. You don't know how things are going to. I guess it was. I, I thought. I thought for sure, like because of the way he is, the way that he's a, a younger guy, like he he's already, um, you know, he can relate to these guys a, a lot more than than a Joe Girardi type. So I didn't think the relationships with the players was ever going to be a problem. Like I thought that was going to be the one thing that he was going to be able to to lean back on. I I think the baseball was really the big question mark because he's never done it before. He's never done it before, but it's also something you can you can get better at. You can't get it's really hard to get better at a, being a people person. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. But we knew he was a people person. Ask Joe Girardi; it's hard to improve those things. <laughs> you stick your you stick your foot in your mouth quite a bit. Um, but yeah, the relationships. You know, I don't know. That's just one of those things where I think he comes into it. Um, being an ESPN personality beforehand, doing the imitations, like you knew it was going to be a loose clubhouse, right? Well, good batch of mailbag questions. As something tells me, we're not done with the trade talk mailbag questions. That's all right. We got a couple more weeks of it. It's the All Star break now, so a few days off. We will have a Thursday episode. Uh, talk about the All Star game, the home run derby, any other roster decisions, roster moves that happen, and we will also be giving out mid season uh, awards on that show. So definitely looking forward to that. Scott, any last words before we get out of here? No, I just hope everybody enjoys the uh, the little break from uh, from the grind of watching baseball every night. Uh, now it's a exhibition, a little bit more fun. Um, we don't have as many guys on because is Chap- Chapman's not pitching. Chap- no, uh, Chapman got pulled from the All Star. Severino game. will probably be. Severino, throwing. I think, is going to get in. Obviously, Judge is starting, but that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I wonder if Severino can get get the nod. That'll be the uh, the big question mark. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I think they go with. Um, I think Hinch goes with his guy. I hope so. I'm kind of I'm kind of good with that. Yeah. All right, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out before I pick up the phone. Where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. Hey, Finn Stripers, this is Eric from Syracuse. And another brutal loss to a chunk team. And this isn't necessarily a booing criticism because this goes back through Girardi, back to the Tory days. Why they refuse to just walk guys who routinely own them, like David Ortiz and Evan Longoria, and now Manny Machado. Just give up the base, pitch to the next dude. Jesus. So stubborn. They just don't understand that. They kind of like got it in the next inning, but then it's too late. They retired the game. But uh, anyway, while the Yankees are losing these chump teams like the Orioles, the Red Sox have won eight in a row against mostly chump teams, and they have no problem taking business, taking care of business against them. So all we got to say about that is, wild card, bitches, yeehaw! Sonny Gray is a bomb, but he's doing good. Fly, bird, fly. Woo-hoo. You know what the Yanks need to do after this series? They need to keep Wade, and they need to DSA Walker, because he is the most useless person on defense. Like, when Glaber comes back, give him Walker's spot, but keep Wade. And Guardy, you're the man.
Why is Chad Green still in this ball game? Pull this dude, man. What the fuck? Come on, Boom. You're fucking up, man. I've liked you this entire season so far. You're fucking up this game. Let's go. Hi, it's Eric from Rockville. Like the job Boone's doing, but he cost three games this past week. First two against the Orioles by leaving the starter too long and Green in one inning too long. And then Sunday leaving Green in again one inning too long. That has to improve. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.